If I were to ask someone, do you pray, most people would answer that question, yes. Um, confidently, they would answer it quickly. Uh, when I ask people, what do you pray for, uh, there, seems, there seems to be a little bit more of a, a hesitation to answer that question. Because they have to think about what they pray for um, and what their, their, their prayers are, 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 are filled with and how often they pray and those type of things. And typically the answer that I, I get um, is different based on the person, but typically it's uh, things about themselves or things about their family members or things about health and uh, things about uh, the people that are around them. You know, even pray for your church, which is a good thing. But uh, more, more often than not, when I ask people about prayer, they pray for things that are sort of within their sphere of influence. And ultimately... The prayer, if you really think deeply about it, the prayer would be, if these things happen that I'm praying for, then ultimately it'd be good for me, right? Um, praying for my kids to get saved. That'd be a good thing, but it'd be, you know, good as a parent too. You know, you're praying for your, your health or somebody close to you. It'd be a good thing, but it'd be a good thing, a comforting thing for you too, if that happens. And so uh, a lot of it ends up coming back to the person. Uh, if you look at scripture, uh, studies show that there's around 650, 650 written prayers, written prayers that are in the Bible that God has breathed out through his word. Every word, every, every word that's in the page of scripture is breathed out by God. Second Timothy 3.16 is breathed out by God. And he's giving us recorded script, recorded prayers in scripture that we can read that he is praying through these human beings back to himself. And so if we ever have a question of, I mean, what does it mean to pray? How do we pray a prayer that is pleasing to God? We can go right to his word and find out because he's given us pages and pages and pages of prayer. And what you'll see if you look and study the prayers of Scripture is more often than not, majority of these prayers that are in Scripture have little to do with the person that's praying. They have little to do with the person that's praying. I mean, the, all the, the, the scripture or the prayers that we look at in scripture, most of them come back to glorifying God. You just think about prayers that, that David was praying. All right, his son Absalom was running him out of town trying to, to kill him, but yet he was still placing God on his throne and, and praying that God would be honored through all of this. Right? He wanted protection, but at the same time, he was praying and glorifying God. You think about uh, Moses or, or, or the, the prophets in, in, those, uh, in the Old Testament. They, were, they had their lives on the line, right? Some of these prophets were, were, were treated terribly because they were calling people out for their sins. But then they continued to pray to God that these nations and that Israel would repent and turn to God. So again, they're, they're, they're praying, but they're praying these big prayers that point back to God being glorified, not necessarily Hey, get me out of my situation. Hey, God, this is, this is hard, right? Or if I'm, I'm Paul, you know, I'm tired of getting beat up. I'm tired of being shipwrecked. I'm tired of all this. Like, let, let, let me just have a, a season of peace. He didn't pray that. He always prayed that God would get the glory through whatever was going on in his life. And we have all these examples that, that, that tell us, uh, point our prayers back to God, that God may get the glory. Yet many of us come to God on our own terms on our own terms with prayer. We don't, we don't study the prayers of Scripture to know how to pray. We think, oh, I know how to talk to God. I'll talk to God on my terms, but I want his answers. We come to God on our terms wanting his answers. Well, our study this morning is going to show us exactly how we should go to God. Every time we pray, every time we pray, this is a great example of how we should approach God. 
how we should approach God in prayer according to his terms. His terms, not our terms. And I can tell you right now, none of these prayers in the Bible, in the prayer that we'll look at today from Paul, none of these prayers are multitasking. None of these prayers are saying, hey, I'm going to pray, but I'm really thinking about all these other things that I got to do today or, or this person that I need to meet and all this, but I'll, I'll throw a prayer in there. And then half of the time, I don't even know if I close the prayer because I'm often thinking about something else. Amen. That happens in here. I'm not the only one, right? Okay. All right. Or it, it, none of these prayers in the Bible, or none of this prayer that we're talking about today, it's not one of those prayers that we pray on our way to bed and then we're praying, praying, praying. Next thing you know, it's six o'clock in the morning. And then we're like, did, did I say amen? Well, I thought I was praying. And the next thing you know, you fall asleep. None of those prayers are that way. Right? We're not praying that way. But this prayer that we're talking about today and all the prayers throughout Scripture, most of them start with the greatest reverence as we approach the throne. As we approach God in prayer, I mean, there is just reverence that is dripping off the page of who they are talking to. And you and I need more of that as we go to prayer. And we need to be thinking the same thing about our prayer life, praying to the same God that we read in the pages of Scripture that these men are praying to. We need to have that involved in our prayer life. So let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14, we're getting to finally Paul praying what he started with in Ephesians 3, verse 1, before he got sidetracked and went on his digression of who he was, what, he, what his situation was, what his ministry was. Uh, we finally get to the prayer, and he starts with for this reason. And again, I'll go back and remind you that this is the second prayer, the second prayer. And so oftentimes we see throughout Ephesians that Paul starts to talk about theology. He's starting to talk about the spiritual blessings, going back to chapter one, the spiritual blessings, the eternal plan of God the Father. And then he prays. He prays that they may understand God's greatness and God's power. And then he starts to talk about being united, one, in, united in Christ. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we all can be united, Jews and Gentiles. We can all be part members of God's family, all partakers of the promise. And then he gets to this point um, where he's going to pray. Before he gets uh, diverted to a, another thought, he's back to praying about what he just talked about. And this is a pivotal pr prayer because going forward, starting in chapter 4, we now get to the practical application of Ephesians. Just like most of Paul's letter, he starts off with theology and the gospel, explaining the gospel. And then he says in the back half of most of his letters, how, how, how is this lived out? How is this lived out? And so he's going, to, he's going to pray right now, making this transition from theology, talking about this mystery of Christ, and then getting into starting next week, what does that look like being lived out? But let's read Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Going back to the top in verse 14, I want you to, to look at just uh, Paul's posture in his prayer. Right? He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees. And for you and I, as we read, I bow my knees, it might be like, oh, yeah, okay, you, you, you bow your knees. But understanding for the Jews, that, that's not normal, right? This is, this is not the normal way to pray. And so this is something different that Paul is doing. This is, if you think back to Luke 18, right, when we talk about the, uh, uh, the Pharisee and the, the tax collector going into the temple, right? He, he's saying that the Pharisee goes in and he's standing and he's saying, thank God I'm not like this tax collector, right? He's standing in prayer. And then you have the, the tax collector that says he, he's far off, but he's standing, beating his chest in agony, right? But they're standing, praying. You think about Jews even today, right? When, they, when they're facing the wailing wall, when they go to the wailing wall in Jerusalem, they're praying, standing at the wailing wall or the Western Wall. They're standing there praying to God. So kneeling on your knees is not something normal. This is something that Paul is doing that is unique, that we need to understand uh, is unique for today and unique for his audience even then as they're reading this. It shows a humility and a, and a reverence when you go down to your knees and pray before God the Father. It's not biblical, like you don't have to. Nobody's saying you, you have to be on your knees, otherwise your, your prayer is not worthy. Enough. No, but it's just showing reverence that he's getting on his knees. And think about Paul's situation. Where's Paul right now as he's writing this letter? Where? We can talk this morning. Where's he at? Prison. All right, there we go. Prison, jail, he, he, he's there, and he's chained up to a Roman guard. And so think about Paul. He, does, he doesn't care. You know, many of us, we get there, we go out to public restaurants, and we're trying to see who's looking, and we pray real quick to make sure nobody catches us. Paul doesn't care about any of that. Paul has somebody that he's chained up to, and he, he says, I don't care. I'm getting on my knees to pray to God the Father. I'm on my knees praying for the Ephesians. And then he gets into it and says, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. And depending on your commentary, there can be a split uh, understanding of that. One thought is he's saying that uh, there's this universal fatherhood that he's saying. I have sovereignty over every single family that is named on earth. And I, I, that can be true. Right? Of course, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over every single family. Uh, but I don't think that's the context necessarily here in this verse. I think he's speaking more of the whole family of believers, right? Every family of believers, because it fits what we're talking about. If you go back to, you know, our entire chapter two and chapter three, we're talking about being united in Christ, being part of God's family. Even if you go to chapter four, he's talking about being part, being one God, right? Having one God. So there's this unified, uh, this, this connection and talk about believers. And so I think when he says every family in heaven on earth, he's talking about all the saints, all the believers of all time, the ones that are on earth now, the ones that are in heaven now. He's talking about all of them is who he's uh, referring to in this prayer. When he says all, we have to always remember, every time you read all, it doesn't mean all without distinction, right? It can just be saying, hey, all of you guys over here, we're going to go get bacon after this, right? I'm not talking to you over here. I'm talking to all these guys, right? So when we read scripture, we need to understand that every time you hear all, all doesn't mean everyone. 
I just want you to think for a second, if you had a meeting with uh, the CEO of your company, uh, you got a one-on-one meeting, your CEO said, hey, I want to meet with you. Or if you own your own company, you have your, your biggest customer, you're going to meet with their CEO. And this would be a, a major deal if you're able to uh, get a partnership with them. But just think for a second, the preparation that you would have with that meeting with your CEO. You would probably study that CD, CEO a little bit, know what they like, know what their purpose is, know what their mission is, know what they've been doing in their career. You'd know a lot about that CEO before you ever step foot in that meeting. You wouldn't just shoot off the cuff and say, hey, you know what? Eventually, I'm going to keep talking and I'm going to say something that makes sense to me, but I hope it all makes sense to you. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. You, you would think deeply about that. You would prepare for that meeting. You would come with an agenda of things that you would like to discuss during that time. You'd want to make the most out of that time. Think about this for a second. You and I get an opportunity to meet with the CEO of the universe whenever we want. Whenever we want. Chief eternal officer, let's call him that. The CEO of the universe, we can go before him whenever we want. He wants to hear from us. How much preparation do you do before you go before the CEO of the universe, the one that has all power, the one that can move any mountain, the one that can do the impossible? How much preparation, how much reverence, how much thought do we have? before we go before the CEO of the universe. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, be not rash with your mouth, right? Just say whatever comes to your mind. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. And what he's saying there is we need to be thoughtful about the words that we're saying to God. The prayers that we're putting before God, the, 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 the supplication that we're putting before God, the, the, the confession that we're putting before God, it shouldn't just be, I'll just kind of say something and hopefully, I mean, the Spirit says he, he intercedes for me and so I can groan and I can mumble my way through and hopefully it'll make sense to God by the time the Spirit's done working. No. The Spirit will intercede. But you and I need to go before God with thoughtfulness, with reverence, knowing we are talking every time we pray you're talking to the CEO of the universe. You and I should never take that for granted because the way we approach prayer sets the tone for everything. Everything that we're about to say in prayer is all set by how we approach prayer. We approach prayer lax, just so lax and, and, and not even really thinking about it, then that typically flows into the things that we pray about. When we're talking to the creator of the universe, we must have the greatest reverence, the greatest reverence, understanding who we're talking to and what this opportunity God has given us to come before him. Even, even just saying that before you go, you're about to enter the throne, enter the throne room to talk to God. Just tell yourself that before you pray. I'm about to enter God's throne room and talk to him. And let that help us have the greatest reverence with every prayer. That's point number one for us. Write it down this way. You and I need to approach every prayer with the greatest reverence. The greatest reverence. Jot these two verses down and I'll read them while you're writing. Psalm 95, 1 through 6. And 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. Psalm 95, 1 through, 1 through 6 is an enthronement psalm. 
and this is what, this is what it says, verse 1. Just listen, just listen to the words of this prayer. Listen to the reverence here. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. First Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. He, he, he's speaking to everybody now. He's about to pray to the Lord. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. I just wonder how many of us go to the throne of God. Not necessarily reciting all of that, but how many of us have that reverence before we enter prayer? How many of us think this is God, the Lord of all, the one that is the creator of all, that is above every name that is mentioned here on earth? How many of us think about that before we enter God's throne room? You and I need to do a better job of preparing ourselves before prayer, preparing ourselves. I love it when we read in the Gospels that Jesus, oftentimes when he prayed, he went to a desolate place. He had to go be by himself. He had to get up before everybody else was there. He needed to have quiet and silence around him so he could focus on God the Father. This is Jesus we're talking about. That did all, he, he did all of this to say, I got to get by myself to make sure I have reverence for the Father as I'm praying to make sure I'm in full concentration. My kids aren't screaming in the other room. I don't have things going on over here in this next room over here. I, I, need, I, need, I need a desolate place. Starting off the right way. What about on-the-go prayers? You know, on-the-go, I can pray when I'm driving and all that. It says uh, pray without ceasing. When we say pray without ceasing, that does not mean pray without respecting. We need to understand that. Right? I'm not saying we should be praying without ceasing. There are times where you need to, like Nehemiah did, right on the spot, you need, to, you need to call upon God real quick to have a prayer and then get your mind, and then get your mind right and then act. Right? Nehemiah 2 gives us a great example of that. One verse, not even the full verse, says he prays to the Lord when he was asked a question by the king. So, yeah, I'm not saying quick prayers. We, we can have those. We always should be praying without ceasing. I'm saying even in your praying without ceasing, you need to have reverence for who you're talking to. Because if you look at Nehemiah and go back up to chapter 1, chapter 1 is filled with a prayer. 
And so it wasn't that all his life he was just these little one shoot, shoot up prayers. Those are fine, but he had reverence for God when he, when he prayed. The greatest respect, we need to have that. Paul gives us a great example of how we should come to God in prayer. Right? On his knees, full of humility, great reverence. But then he also shows us the content of his prayer which is pleasing to God. Back to our passage, Ephesians 3, verse 16. He says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. We see a great, another evidence of the Trinity happening, right? He's praying to the Father, uh, the power through the Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your heart. So the Trinity is all throughout Scripture. I don't need to tell you that, but here's just a great example of it again. But here is a prayer that Paul is praying, and he's praying four different things here. And it's almost like a, a, a progressive step, each one on top of the other, um, moving on up. So he starts with being, being strengthened, right? He's requesting that all of this stuff that he just talked about, about being one in Christ, about bringing Jews and Gentiles together as one, he knows it's going to be hard. And so he's praying that the spirit within them would strengthen them to live it out. And so he says to be strengthened through the spirit. And then he also requests that they would be rooted and grounded in love. That's just a great prayer to be rooted and grounded in love. So they would have the strength through the spirit to live it out, but then everything that they do would be rooted and grounded in love, love. And then he gives these, the, the purpose behind it. And then he says, why, why, does he, why is he praying these prayers? So that they would know the love of Christ. He wants them to experience the love of Christ just like he did and understand the depths, right, of the love of Christ, how, 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 how just immeasurable it is. He wants them to understand that. And then he ends with that they will be, Filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. That's our prayer. That, that's our goal in this life is to be filled with the fullness of God. Will we ever be fully filled? No, we won't be fully filled, but we should strive for it. To be filled with the fullness of God. You want to have a God-pleasing prayer life. These are great prayers to imitate. These four right here, these are big prayers. It's not specific things that pertain to us or our lives or our situations, but these are big prayers that God will work according to his will. And these are great prayers that we should study and we should make these part of our prayer life. Write that down for point number two is we should imitate the prayers that God has shown. Imitate the prayers that God has shown. And I'm talking about all throughout scripture. Obviously today we're talking about this prayer right here from Paul, but imitate all the prayers throughout scripture because God has given us these prayers. He has written these out in his word for us to read, for us to study, for us to understand, for us to know how to pray a prayer that is pleasing to him that he will answer according to his will. We don't have to guess. We don't have to think, well, I'm a great communicator. I'll just communicate to God the way I want. You're not a great communicator. God is a great communicator, and he's telling you how to pray a prayer that's pleasing to him. You and I just need to study that, read it, pray the same things that God is praying in his word in our own life. But let me explain these, these four prayers in a little bit more detail. I want to give you your point first, but uh, back to the top in, in, in verse 16. 
inner being, right? That's a weird word. What, what is that? Because uh, it, it, it's not your spirit because he's separating, saying through his spirit in your inner being. And so inner being is a term that's used throughout Scripture. We see it in Romans 7. Uh, we see it in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, uh, where Paul says, so do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, like our body, our encasing, our body is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So there's this inner being that's not your spirit. This inner being that we're talking about is oftentimes described in Scripture as your, your soul or, or your mind or your heart or your flesh. That's all your inner being, your conscience, right? We're all born with an inner being. We're all born with a conscience. We know right from wrong. Whether you're a believer or not, you know right from wrong because you have an inner being that's working in you. When you become a believer, you get indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the perfect spirit, the Holy Spirit that's working within you as well. And the goal of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you is working to transform that inner being, to renew your mind, right? Uh, and and, and to, to renew your heart and to get you to think more like the Spirit. And so you have this, 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 this inner being and your soul, the Spirit, excuse me, capital S, Spirit living within you. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Christ may dwell in your hearts, right? Christ may dwell in your hearts. Well, I thought the Holy Spirit dwelled in my heart. It's a synonymous term here, right? It's Christ's spirit. It's the spirit of Christ that's dwelling in your heart, um, that he may dwell in your heart. You might ask, well, I, I thought he was dwelling in my heart. He is dwelling in your heart. But again, if you go back to chapter one, we talked about uh, sanctification. And you remember I, I talked about positional sanctification, standing before God. We are sanctified. We are, we are made clean. We are, we, are, we are righteous before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you have progressive sanctification. It's the same thing here. You have the spirit inside of you. The spirit is in you, but the spirit is progressively making you more and more and more like Christ, transforming your inner being in, to make it more like Christ. So you have positionally versus progressively. Uh, and that's what he said, that the, that the spirit might dwell in you more and more, right? We want the spirit to overtake what you're currently doing. It's like if you, um, if you're, you, you know, you just bought a new home and it needs a lot of work and it was a total fixer upper. If you go into this house as a fixer upper, when you purchase that home, when you sign that contract, when you go into that home, the first few months or years, however long it takes you to, to work on the house, it doesn't fit you. It doesn't look like you. It, it, it's not your style. Uh, if you have a style, whatever that is, it's, it's not you, but it's your home, right? And over a period of time, as you start to do a remodel within that home, it starts to look more like you because on the inside, you are, well, I shouldn't even say you, your wife is doing most of the work of remodeling on the inside. And so it starts to fit your style or her style, and it starts to look more like you. So when people walk in, it's like, oh, okay, I know you like that color. So the house that you once purchased that didn't look like you looks more like you over a period of time because of the remodel. Works the same thing with Christ dwelling in us, the spirit dwelling in us. He moves into a jacked up body that looks really bad. All of the inner being looks bad in us. But over a period of time, Christ works on us, right? He starts to remodel. He does a lifelong remodel in the inside of our body to make our outside look more like him um, because he's working on it, right? And so if you think about a remodel of a house, it's the same thing with our body. He moves in, and it's way worse than any house that you could purchase because that's how bad we are. That's how bad our outside is. But as Christ is in us, working from the inside to do that lifelong remodel, he starts to change things, and it starts to look more like him, just like your house will look more, more like your style. And so that is, over a period of time, that progressive uh, dwelling that Christ dwells in our hearts, the Spirit works in us 
to change our inner being, to change our mind, to change the way we think about things, to change our, our conscience, our flesh, start to be more like him instead of our old self. Um, all that to say, that was probably way too long for uh, sub-point A. You and I need to pray like Paul was praying, that you, one, or, or others, their inner spirit would transform their outer self. We need to pray that prayer. When you're praying for other people, when you're praying for yourself, pray that the inner spirit that is working in you, if you are a believer, you have the spirit in you, that it would change and transform your outer self. That'd be a good prayer. Right? That gets you out of the specifics of, hey, I just wish this would be different. Hey, I wish that person's inner spirit, because I know God is going to do way more work than I could ever think of or imagine. I wish the inner spirit would transform the outer spirit in myself and others. That's a great prayer. Great prayer to pray. And then Paul, going to the next prayer, talks about being, the inner, uh, being strengthened through the power of the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That's the second prayer, rooted and grounded in love. And he uses this uh, synonymous term, rooted and grounded. Rooted is an agricultural term, and then he uses the architectural term, um, of, of grounded, foundationally, uh, in love, in everything in love. And it should remind you of what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's, that's, that's a reflection of Jesus, if we love one another. Love one another, and he's saying this because you got Jews, you got Gentiles that hate each other. And he's saying, my prayer is that everything that you do, when you guys are in church together, I know you don't like each other, but I just, I pray that everything that you do would be rooted and grounded in love. Because if you do that, guess what? God will be glorified. God will be glorified. And that's just a great prayer that you need to pray for yourself and you need to pray for others that, that we would be overflowing with love in all things. Overflowing with love in all things. I mean, most of the time, uh, if you're dealing with a conflict, the reason that you have a conflict and the reason that the conflict is continuing to happen and it doesn't ever come to an end is because there's just no love in it. It could be within your home, within your marriage, or it could be a, a, a friendship or a business relationship. You know what? A good prayer would just to, to be, hey, everything that I do towards this person, I just want to do it in love. Because guess what? Love covers a multitude of sins. So if we can just love one another, like 1 Timothy 4, 8 tells us, it covers a multitude of sins. We, we won't continue on sinning because everything that I'm doing, I'm not thinking like, man, I'm doing this because they did this to me. I'm just, I'm doing it out of love because this is what Jesus would do. So if we can pray that prayer that Paul is praying for the Jews and the Gentiles that are reading this, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that would be a great thing. Now we get to the purpose part of it, the second, the last two prayers. Write this verse down, Philippians 3, 8 through 10. Philippians 3, 8 through 10. That's what Paul says about the love of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss. Everything I had in my life, everything I count as a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What's great about marriage, uh, those of you that are, are married in here, is I, for, for most of you, I hope this should be the, should be the goal, um, you should love your wife more today than you did before. 
I remember dating my wife, and I'm like, man, I love this gal. I want to marry this guy. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm going to explode if I love her anymore. I know that's corny, but whatever. I'm going to explode if I love her anymore, right? But then you finally marry her, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. I don't know what I was talking about then. I really love her. Like, I, I love her a lot. I can't imagine even loving her any more than on this wedding day. Everything is right. I paid a lot of money. I'm not looking at my bank account right now, but everything is great this day, right now. And then you fast forward years down the line or decades down the line, you're like, man, I'm so young in mind back then thinking about my love for her. I, it, it's, it's increased even more, even more. I didn't know how it was going to increase, but it's increased even more. My love for her has grown. Why did it grow? Because you're still the same. She's still the same. Why did it grow? Because of the experience that you had with her. You've gone through trials. You've gone through, through successes. You've gone through things in life that you and her had to work together to get through. And your love for her has grown because you've seen other sides of her that, that you never even saw when you were dating, when you first got married, because of the experience that you had with her. And that's what Paul is praying, that their love for Christ will continue to grow. Because guess what? We're never going to get to a point where it's like, ah, I got all, I'm, I'm at 100% with my love for Christ and can't go higher. No, we want to pray that people would experience the love of Christ more. And guess what? Sometimes that love of Christ oftentimes comes through, I should say, trials. Trials. It comes through trials, but we want to pray that you and others would increasingly know the love of Christ. That's letter C. Pray that you and others would increasingly know the love of Christ. That's what Paul wanted for his life. He just said, I don't care what happens to me, come what may, I just want to know Christ more. I just want to know Christ more because if I know Christ more, guess what? I don't care about the situation. I'm going to be spurred on to do more Christ-like things because I know how much he loves me. Even though my life is hard, I know how much he loves me. I know what he did for me. I see how wretched I was the more and more I hang out with Christ, and I see how gracious he is to me to save me when I don't deserve it. It's like being a new Christian, right? You, you think, oh, man, I'm not that far from perfection. I'm doing pretty good. And then the more seasoned you become as a Christian, you're like, man, I, I think I'm, I might be on the other side, like if I don't, you know, stay close to Christ. Why? What happened? You, you get your eyes open to how deep sin is and how much we sin, not just in our actions, but even in our thoughts. And you start to be thankful more for Christ saving you because you realize I, I certainly don't deserve it. You feel like a bigger sinner oftentimes the longer you're a Christian than you did when you first were a Christian. But you're not. You're probably sinning less, but your eyes are open to sin more. And that's because you know Christ more. He, he's, he's allowed you to experience him and who he is and his perfection. And we start to love him even more the more we're around him. Pray that you would increasingly know the love of Christ. Here's the climax, the last one. The highest goal, if you look at these four prayers, is filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God, will you ever reach fullness? No. It's just like what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.15. He said, he who's called you to be holy, you also be holy in your conduct, right? You shall be holy for I am holy. Are we going to be holy? Are we going to be perfect? No. But in our conduct, we should strive for that perfection. That should be our, our, our goal in life to say, I want to sin less. I want to sin less in everything that I do. So letter D, you should pray for yourself and you should pray for others that you would be filled with the perfection of God. Filled with the perfection of God. Are you going to be perfect? No, you're never going to be perfect. You already messed that up. Not going to be perfect. However, our lives should 
aim for that. Those are big spiritual prayers, big spiritual prayers that align with God's will. Because here's the thing, your prayer uh, for your health issue, uh, your prayer for your job situation, um, your prayer for, um, um, you know, your financial situation, whatever that, that prayer is, that prayer may not be being answered because part of God's will is to have you where you are right now with that health problem, with that financial situation, at that job you don't like. That might be part of God's will. And so instead of saying, hey, eject, eject, get me out of here because I want to do something better, our prayer should be bigger and spiritual. And I always pointed to him to say, whatever, whatever you have me doing here, Lord, let your will be done. Allow me to see that. Right? Allow me to experience the love of Christ while I'm in this hard situation because my, my eyes are on him now. Allow me to experience that love of Christ. Allow everything that I do, every person that I'm around, even though my situation is tough, allow it to be rooted and grounded in love. Let me not play the victim card of, oh, poor me. No, let me just be rooted and grounded in love. Therefore, you can get the glory through this situation that I'm in. Our life is not about just trying to continue to hop from good thing to good thing to good thing and good thing to good thing. That's not the will of God. The will of God, 1 Thess 4, 3 tells us, is our sanctification. Our sanctification. That's God's will. And so if we're praying that God would be glorified here. We're praying, praying that we would continuously be filled with the fullness of God. Those are prayers that are aligned with his will because he tells us that his will for us is our sanctification, that we would grow to be more like Christ. That's it. That's his will for us. If we look at this, this point in general, imitate the prayers that God has shown us, the way we can apply, apply that every day is praying the DBR, praying through reading the DBR, excuse me, you're reading the DBR. You're reading God's word. Pray those prayers right back to God. Pray those prayers right back to God. What is Jesus doing in the gospels? What, what, what are we doing in Exodus? What are they praying for? What are they thinking about? Pray and give thanks to God for those things that you just read. You read a prayer in scripture, pray that back to God. Based on your circumstances, your life, but pray that prayer that God would be glorified. There's great resources like Praying with Paul, one of my favorite books, Praying with Paul by D.A. Carson. It's an excellent book that reminds us, look, you don't need to think, oh, I got I to gotta find out something to pray for. You don't have to be creative with your prayer. Go to God's word, see what he is pleased with in prayer, and pray those things back to him. And pray that that would be done in your life. Praying the Scriptures by, by Don Whitney. We have both of those in the bookstore. Great books to remind us, pray the Scriptures. Pray what God has shown us in his word. And we can know that he would be pleased with those prayers. You don't have to wonder if he's going to answer them because he's already shown you he's answered them in Scripture. And he'll answer yours the same way that he's answered in his word. Back to our passage. Last two verses, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can, that all that we can ask or think according to the power that is work, at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a, a doxology that he ends with. And doxology, of course, you break those two words up. Is Doxa means, means glory and logos means uh, a word or a statement. And so it's a statement of glory. It's a statement of, of, of praise that he's giving back to God here. 
And just like we see with Paul here, he gets full on theology, like he's talking theology first, and he's talking about how God is working. He's talking about the things that God is doing, and he's so elated about the things that God is doing, he can't help but to praise God, and he gets into a doxology. Doxology is what we're reading when you see him saying, give all all praise to God. What is he saying here, right? Um, To him be the glory. Right? To him be the glory. Those are doxology. But first, before he even gets into a doxology, really, which is in verse 21, he starts off by giving a recognition of God's limitless power through us. Right? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Right? He's able to do it. We, we can't even think about it sometimes. We don't even know what's about to happen because he, he just operates on a whole different level. All of our prayers need to be covered in that, in understanding that God can do the impossible, right? We do, we think at this level right here, God's way up there in a whole different stratosphere. God can do what seems impossible in your life. It's very possible with God. Let's write that down, point number three. Pray knowing that God can do the impossible. Pray knowing that God can do the impossible. And I put that in quotes because, of course, nothing is impossible with God. For us, it seems impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. Um, I remember as a kid finally realizing um, that I was strong enough to push a car. Thought I was Hercules that day, right? But the reason I couldn't push it before because the car was in park. I didn't know if you shift the gear to neutral, hey, we can get this car moving. And all of a sudden, when I, when I finally realized, hey, you make a little shift from park to neutral, the car will move, I, I, I thought I was the strongest person on earth, right? But it was impossible at first. It's impossible to move a car if it's sitting in park because that thing just won't move. But when we shift the gear to neutral, all of a sudden things get moving. It's like us. When we pray certain things, it's, it feels impossible for us because we're in a certain gear. But when we shift it over and realize that God is the one that's working here, things get moving. Right? But it requires us to shift from us doing it to say, I can't do it, but yeah, God can. And I trust that. And I know God can do it. And I'm going to pray this prayer with confidence knowing God could do it because I'm shifting the, pr- the pressure off of me and the focus off of me and I'm shifting it to God. And guess what? Things get moving in a lot different way when God is at work versus through our own strength. Write these two passages down real quick. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and then Philippians 4, 19. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Right? When God places you somewhere, he's going to give you everything that you need according to his will to be able to get through whatever that situation is, the way he wants you to get through it. Right? God is going to use you in that way. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of in glory in Christ Jesus, to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, excuse me. Right, God is going to supply every need. You go through a trial. I know sometimes we, we pray prayers and we're hesitant to really pray big prayers because we're like, I don't want that trial that, that might come with this. Right, but God is promising us our life is his will, his sanctification, but he's promising to supply us with everything that we need. He's not going to leave us there and forsake us to say, oh, figure it out yourself. Whatever trial that you're going through right now, God will provide everything that you need. He will supply it all. And with him, it's possible. It's possible. We oftentimes say we know God will answer prayers, but then we pray these little generic prayers, these safe prayers. And my question to you is like, do do, do we really believe that God can answer any prayer? 
do we really believe that nothing is impossible for God? Because if we really believe that, that would reflect in our prayer life, the thing that we're praying for. You should examine your own heart. And if you know it, if you know God will answer prayers, then you pray confidently and persistently because you know God is going to answer that prayer. Uh, a couple years ago, I, um, for probably like six months, uh, I would get this text message every probably like twice a month, twice a week for a long period of time. And it was this generic text message that would come and it would say, hey, we miss you. You should come back and have a free session on us. Sincerely, Costa Mesa Tanning Salon. <laughs> to me. This brother don't need no tan. I assure you. But they would keep sending it. They would keep sending this. And I don't know, I never responded because eventually I'm like, huh, you might have a wrong connection here. And part of me thought I should just send a picture back. Be like, I'm good. Um, I, I don't need you, what you're offering. But I can assure you they didn't intend to send that to me. Let's just be honest. They didn't send that to me. Well, wanted somebody a little bit more fair-skinned, not me. Um, but there was something off between what they were trying to do and what they were actually doing. Right? They were trying to get to somebody, but what they were actually doing was getting to the wrong person. Some of you may say, I'm praying to God. I'm praying all the time, praying without ceasing. I'm asking God to do this in my life, and nothing's happening. And I would say the same thing for you, is you may be praying, you may be doing one thing, but what's actually happening, it, it, it's not adding up. I'm not saying you're not doing the actions, but it's something might be off between what you're doing and what's actually happening. God has written in his word prayers for us, for us to know how to pray a prayer that is pleasing to him. We don't have to guess we don't have to think, well, this is what I would do if I were God, and this is how I would run life, because you're not God. And so in order for us to have a God-pleasing prayer life, it requires you and I to study God's word and know how he expects us to pray to him and know how he promises that he will answer those prayers. And it starts off with how we approach his throne, how we come to him in prayer. Just start there. Before you go into prayer, you need to take a second to say, am I approaching God the right way? Because that sets the tone for everything that you're about to say. Do you have that reverence before you go to the throne of God in prayer? Have that. And then when it comes to the content of your prayers, pray these prayers that Paul is talking about here. They're all going back up to give glory to God. They're all going towards our sanctification, towards the sanctification of people that are around us. And when we pray those prayers, God is faithful and promises to answer every one of those prayers, and you and I can be confident that he is pleased with those prayers. Let's pray. God, thank you for showing us how we can pray to you. Again, we are unworthy. We don't deserve this access to you, but you have given it to us through your grace and your kindness to us. Lord, I pray that our prayer life, all of us, mine included, I, there was so much conviction just reading and studying this, uh, this passage this week because of my own prayer life. And Lord, I, I pray for uh, forgiveness, that I've come before you thinking about other things, that I've come before you not having full reverence that you deserve in every single prayer. 
as the CEO of the universe. And, Lord, I just pray for all of us that that would change and that through those prayers that we pray to you with more fervency and with more reverence that you would answer those mightily. Lord, help us to do that starting today and moving forward. Think deeply about our prayers. Study your prayers that you've given to us and shown us in your word and help us to pray those back to you and that you may be honored and glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.